Iowa's News Now Sports brings you black and gold glory. Your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks. Welcome to our live pre-Purdue edition of Eye on the Hawks. Mitch Vick here with Owen Sebring and Mike Howell. And we start, as we have now, a couple times with these, which is exciting if you're a newsies, with some breaking news, some developing news from the NCAA, who announced that they are going to re-examine sports wagering reinstatement guidelines. Obviously, some pretty big news if you are Noah Shannon and wondering if that season-long suspension may be changes somehow as we get through this. So I'll uh, give you the Reader's Digest edition on this. We've got a full article up at iowasnewsnow.com. If you want to look at the full release, I'm kind of going through the, the release from the NCAA today. Basically, they're going to go over this review the next couple of weeks, finish up by mid-October. There will be a final vote on updated guidelines at the end of October. The guidelines potentially could be applied retroactively. Here are the concepts they are considering. A first offense on a, basically a wager at their school, but not on their own team or any sort of wager. It would be basically you would not be suspended for a first offense. You would, regardless of how much is wagered, you'd go through the, the compliance program, things like that. A second offense, depending on how much you wager, a suspension could be in play, um, but not set in stone. A third one, you could be suspended and it could go up to a full season of eligibility. So basically one strike is kind of dusted off. Mm -hmm. Obviously Noah Shannon's situation was a, a first strike. Bet on a UI athletic event that wasn't football. Betting on your own team is still permanent loss of eligibility. What are your initial thoughts of this? We were talking about this a few days ago. The NFL just uh, recently shortened some suspensions for sports wagering, obviously different at the pro level than is the collegiate level. Uh, and some of those suspensions were cut from like six games to four games, things like that. We were just talking about would that maybe happen in the NCAA? I think I, if I recall, I was a little skeptical that it would. I've completely done a 180. I think Noah Shannon <laughs> plays at some point this year. Yeah, the NCAA is in the business of, well, it's true because I said so. <laughs> um, and that seems to be, a, a, if this indeed gets approved, then... I mean, it, it'll be interesting to hear from Kirk about if Noah Shannon comes back or not because, you, I mean, what, what would you say is your confidence level percentage-wise that Noah plays this season? I say 100% in some capacity. Wow! I don't, I, we were talking about this earlier. Right. I, I yeah. just think, and I, I did reach out yeah. to, to Matt Weitzel, the SID for football. Uh, no statement from Ferentz right now. Um, he did say we are welcome to ask about that after Saturday's game. So I won't be there, so please go ahead and uh, ask about that Can't if nobody do. else does. Um I would have to think, and I, and we talked about this angle too, I don't know what Noah's current training regiment is. Obviously, he's a student assistant listed like that now in the program. He's still with the team. So I don't know what it would take to get up to game level. I don't know if he's, he's certainly not practicing because he's not able to. Yeah. Um, I would have to think, though, if... He's in the weight room right now. He's, <laughs> he's doing something. He's, he's getting ready for whatever Honestly, the next step is. Yes. I would have to think, even if it's only three or four games, again, um, we'll get a vote at the end of October, so you'd think he'd be ready or could possibly be eligible if they make a decision on this retroactively by November, and you got the four games there plus a potential bowl game, maybe even a trip to Indy. You'd rather have him for – it'd be a shortened season, and, and still there's some damage done there, but I would have to think if, if they – Say he's eligible, there's no way in heck Noah Shannon's not suiting up one more time. That Kinnick Stadium crowd would absolutely go bonkers. For a Noah Shannon, Shannon sack? No. <laughs> for yes. Noah, Noah Shannon being on the field. Yeah, yeah, that's right. the field. They're going to lose it for him. Now, oh. the NCAA gets a lot of 
you know, crap, and rightfully so, yeah. all the time about their rules and stuff. But if they do go through with this and change the rules, I think you got to give them kudos that they said, because I think we all thought these don't make sense, especially for like what Noah spo- supposedly did, you know, bet on a different team, a different Hawkeye team. So if these rules do get applied and it's retroactive, so my fear when I first started reading, I was like, oh, this is going to be for future offenses, but it's pretty cool that they'll do it retroactively. There's, yeah, so. And I, I again, you guys might have to remind me or you've looked back because I can't remember as much as we went through all of the gambling stuff, you know, a couple months ago, at Iowa State, who would this impact? Who would potentially come back to the team? I wanted. Would Jirel Brock be back? I can't remember exactly off the top of my head who bet on Cyclone football themselves. Right. Hunter Decker's bet on, bet on a game that he was a backup in, correct? The, was it the Cyhawk game even? I think it, no, it was the Oklahoma State game mm. in 21. Yeah, okay. Again, that's just off the top of my head, but I, I feel like that's in the ballpark. I know there's, yeah, I mean, Deshaun Hanneke was in the news this week. I forget again what he gambled on, but um, yeah, there could be some Cyclones even come back to the roster. Yeah, it, there's, there's a lot to unpack, certainly, but that's... Uh, a, a ray of light in a time where we thought the, the door was completely closed. There is now a, a crack in the door, and we'll see what happens there in, in the next few weeks. But, boy, what a story that would be. And we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I just yeah. made a bold proclamation. I don't think it's that bold. I mean, if, if he's got eligibility, you don't think Noah Shannon's going to want to be running out the tunnel with his boys again. That'd be, uh, that'd be so cool to see. And like well, you said earlier, like if, if, if they're not going to do this, I don't think they send out a press release, you know? Yeah, it, fe- gotta be it like feels an like, hmm. yeah. <laughs> This is that he you, you almost, don't bring it up unless you're leaning that way. You almost think that he'd be like possibly put in as a team captain, even. I mean, I feel like he's like so well respected in that yeah. locker room, like that he could be walking out there at midfield. Speaking probably. of team captains, this is an interesting question, kind of off topic and off our rundown. But I was going to mention it on Sunday, but we never got to it. Now that we have two of the five captains are out for the season, essentially, mm-hmm. and they're going to stay captains because they're leaders. It just, it's kind of a unique position and, you know, there's still going to be leaders in that locker room, but, you know, I don't think it's bad either way. It's just, I, I, I wonder if that ever happened in a college football It's a very team. strange situation. I know Logan Lee was then voted in as that, that fifth uh-huh. captain after Luke went down. Uh, we haven't really seen that for Cade yet. And I haven't, haven't heard Logan's name since I think that first week, maybe you, going. I thought he was last week. Yeah. I, I just didn't hear it at the pressure, but I, I assume going forward, right. uh-huh. Logan's. Uh, a captain as well. Again, you mentioned those two captains that are out. One, of course, Luke Lachey, Cade McNamara, made official, eyes didn't lie, out for the year with an ACL injury. That means the Deacon Hill era begins. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday. Eyeball test, aside from some drops on Saturday against Michigan State, Deacon Hill, for a kid who hasn't played a lot of football since really his shortened senior year of high school, Looked pretty solid. Yeah, I, I don't have any complaints. I think we we've got the uh, the ups and downs vo that I cut. That's how I labeled it. Was Deacon's ups, Deacon's downs. Of course, eleven to twenty-seven, five drops, uh, a touchdown, and a pick. But did uh, fairly well. If we want to run that vo, if we have it available, Mike. If not, no big deal. I was gonna uh, do the, the soundbite first. Soundbite. Okay, yeah, we'll do it. soundbite first. Well, here's Deacon. This is the one that I I posted up there. Is the okay? I just want to give the context. So I just asked him about the time he got with the ones. Obviously, in the spring, gets all that time as Cade's still recovering. Then fills in half the fall um, after Cade hurt his quad. So he talks about that, and then he's basically in Iowa City because of John Budmeyer, who was the guy who recruited him to Wisconsin. He talks about loyalty in this and the relationship they've had for a long time. So here's uh, your new QB one on the time he's gotten with the ones and the times that have brought him to Iowa City to now be the leader of the Hawkeye offense. 
How much does that help that you had that many reps with the ones back, going back to the spring? You know, you've got as much time as Cade probably did with the ones at some point. Yeah, I think it helps a lot, obviously. Um, getting reps with Logan under center, um, and obviously throwing in Nico, Vine, Seth, all the guys like that. So I think it really builds chemistry. Um, but yeah, I think the best thing was just being able to build that. And then, you know, now we got to continue it uh, down the road. How'd that relationship start with Coach Bud? Yeah, so my sophomore year, he came out to recruit me. Um, Honestly, I started working out with Coach Fisher throughout a win in LA, and then he contacted Coach Bud. Um, and it kind of started 2019, so I've known Bud since 2019. Um, you know, he offered me before I was a starter in high school, um, and so loyalty is big for me. And you know, I was very loyal to him. Like I wanted to play for him, and so he was my first offer. I decided I wanted to go there after one visit. Um, I, I committed to Wisconsin before I was a starter in high school as well, and so. <laughs> He obviously having that belief from him and me was the biggest thing in the world to me. Um, and so having him here is night and day, you know, blessing. I imagine you were surprised then to get an offer before you, when you were QB2 in high school. I mean, what was that moment like getting that? Yeah, I mean, that was surreal. Um, I, you know, I had, I played enough that season okay. to have good film. Um, and then it was kind of just like proving myself at camps, being able to do it anywhere. Um, but, you know, I guess he saw something in me when I was young. Um, wouldn't trade it for the world, you know, wouldn't trade our relationship for the world very tight. Um, he knows everything about me and my family. I remember in in January when he committed, obviously there was still the the aura around Cade because that was still maybe a, a month uh, a month into that when Deacon came in. That there was at least maybe a little eyebrow. I was like, oh, the kid from Wisconsin's coming. And, and it kind of came out that, you know, he had that relationship with Coach Bud and everything. Uh, and I know I've seen some people post about like, you know, and he was going to go to Fordham. He had been committed to Fordham before uh, before this Iowa opportunity came in uh, as a transfer. A kid who loses his senior season, most of his senior season to the pandemic, who had been committed to Wisconsin for a long time. You feel like even just, again, eyeball test and you saw the interception there and you'll see some of the, the better throws. Nice slant there to, to Seth Anderson uh, on Saturday that maybe he ended up flying a little under the radar. He was a four-star recruit, but he committed so early, stayed committed, was obviously far back on the depth chart at Wisconsin just because he's a younger kid that, you know, people were wondering why didn't he have any other FBS opportunities when he got into the transfer portal. I don't think anybody really knew about him just because he'd been committed. So I can't, and maybe I'm just creating a narrative in my head, but it feels like, man, maybe there's some diamond in the rough type thing of just like nobody was looking at him because he'd committed so long and then didn't have a lot of film from the last couple of years. And here he is now QB1. And again, eyeball test against Michigan State for a kid that came in cold. There were some throws that made you go, all right. Yeah. Yeah, you certainly hope so. That that really surprised me when he said that he didn't have any other, not even just Power Five offers. He didn't have any other Group FBF of five, offers. Yeah. I mean, that was like, yeah, Fordham was <laughs> Fordham was your best opportunity. Come on, um, but he, yeah, I. This Saturday is really going to be an interesting opportunity yeah. for him to really show what he's worth because I think everybody was giving him a little bit of grace on Saturday, just knowing like he wasn't. You know, I'm sure he was prepared as you can be as the backup quarterback, but still everybody was planning for K to play that whole sure. game. So he's coming in as a sub and, you know, did his job as a backup quarterback. But this now it's it's his team for the rest of the season. Um, so what can he do with it? And there was another, I'll, I'll leave him nameless, media member today who, who still has his doubts about Deacon Hill. Um, he believes he has kind of a limited skill set and that Purdue's defense is going to exploit that and, and, you know, that I was – 
I mean, he was predicting a big Purdue win, honestly, on Saturday. Um, so who knows? I, I fully and freely admit that I don't know the X's and O's of football like super well. I'm good at knowing like stats and numbers and putting together a Vosat. Um, but like when it comes to like analyzing a quarterback's mechanics and stuff, that is not my skill set. So maybe that's going to be the case and Deacon is going to, you know, really get his world rocked. But like from what I saw on Saturday against Michigan State, I'm like, dude, this guy can play. He can be a good uh, to potentially very good a Big Ten West quarterback. You mentioned mechanics, and it was funny. Uh, Steffi did a really nice write-up on, on just his background. He was a water polo player from way back when, like learned to swim when he was two years old. And he, he talked about in the early days before he went all in on football and kind of left water polo in the back that his coaches would, I guess when you are throwing a water polo ball or whatever you think, I don't know a whole lot about it water It is a ball. Polo, a ball. <laughs> it's, it's a spheroid. Um, that there's a lot of wrist action in the throw and that he had to lose that mm. Uh, through football and that his coaches would get on because he was still throwing a football like launching the wrist like that that's that's a meme right there just me launching with my wrist right there um yeah again just like eyeball test there's zip on his passes whether or not that's a a massive factor in in catching passes uh is up for debate i think kind of situation by situation but you you look at him and maybe i'm just viewing through the 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 filter of nate stanley and nathan chandler going back 20 years but Big dudes with big arms at Iowa have tended to do pretty darn well, particularly Stanley, uh, a three-year starter who wins 27 games and is number two on basically every uh, all-time passing list at Iowa behind Chuck Long. So maybe it's I'm putting through that filter and, and viewing through Stanley-colored glasses or something like that. But, yeah, I, I, Mike, what do you think? I mean, I, I saw enough that I we, – we talked about this a little bit on Sunday too of just like do you change the expectation for Iowa? The goals remain the same, obviously. You're only going to your sixth game, but – did you see enough from Deacon on Saturday where you're thinking, okay, like everything's still ahead for Iowa? Yeah, I saw a mixed bag, I think. I think there were definitely plays where that impressed me coming in cold sure. uh, after not playing you know, a lot of college football. He played almost in every game this year, but in late in the fourth quarter when the game's been in, in the bag. Um, there are some times where you look at it and the interception, obviously, and then there was another one that probably could have been picked that was in a double coverage um, in the second half, I believe. So... The Iowa coaching staff is definitely going to say, hey, limit those throws right there. But I kind of like the mentality of the gunslinger. I, I know Purdue's defense has a lot of sacks. Mitch um, told me about that this morning. they like fifth in the country, I think, or is it 14th in the country. They have like 16 sacks and five. Yeah, they're, they're in the top 10 in the country for sacks, I think. And Iowa's per game. passing offense is usually a little deeper route. So I think, you know, is that going to be a play this season or this game where Purdue's going to kind of get to the quarterback if Deacon doesn't get the ball out? But that's where that short passing game we've been talking about a few weeks can, can really come into play, I think, this year. But I think he has all the tools. Uh, still not a lot of sample size, though, so we'll see in a few weeks. Small samples so far, it, at least enough where you, you don't think the season's in the tank for sure mm-hmm. and too early to even say that regardless. Uh, obviously, we'll look back again at the, a big day for the Iowa defense against Michigan State. Four turnovers, three picks, and a forced fum- or a fumble recovery from Ethan Herkett. Everyone... Not everyone started to paint with a broad brush. There was a lot of talk about where are the turnovers for an Iowa defense that always has turnovers. And talked a little bit about in the preview last week heading into the matchup with the Spartans that this is an offense that attacks a little more, maybe prevents, presents a few more opportunities for potential turnovers. So I asked Jay Higgins about the, the give and take between what a defense is prepared to do against what an offense is somewhat offering up to that defense to maybe happen. And as he pointed out, uh, Getting turnovers is not actually uh, not exactly a play call sometimes. 
I know there was talk about, you know, why there weren't interceptions and stuff, too. How much of that is what that offense is doing to present opportunities? I mean, it's kind of give and take. Yeah, exactly. Like, we didn't do anything different that we've done the last three weeks or four weeks this past game. Um, And we got got interceptions and turnovers. And, um, I mean, that's not a play call. So so it's like I I don't want you guys thinking, like, okay, this week they were like, we're focused on getting the ball back. It just doesn't happen like that. We kept doing what we've been doing, and the ball ended up in our hands. It's like the quintessential break the rock uh, mentality. Just keep keep being in the right spot, keep <laughs> pursuing the way you're supposed to. Mike seems to think there is a play that you just yeah, they get need an interception. <laughs> run the interception, guys. Run it. Every play. Oh, uh, the the dam was going to break, it felt like, sooner or later. I mean, it's it's Iowa's defense. They, they were going to get some. And I think maybe uh, as we get into our, our look at Purdue here in a little bit, maybe another opportunity. Hudson Card's not a guy that turns the ball over a lot, but there he's uh, he likes to go downfield and, and maybe an opportunity again as, as Jamari Harris keeps coming back. He got his first pick of the season. That was great to see. Of course, Cooper got one. Sebastian Castro got his second one. Uh, maybe some more opportunities for those those ball hawks to, mm-hmm. to do what they are meant to do. Mike's our resident sickos expert. Is, is this sickos potential on Saturday? I haven't looked at their account. I okay. I don't think so. I think, well, it could be. I mean, they're their uh, offensive rankings, you know, I mean, looking at a broad bu- brush, it doesn't tell the whole story. I was obviously all in the hundreds. Mm-hmm. Purdue, you think traditionally they have a good offense, but they got a new, you know, um, defensive-minded guy. I believe he was – was he the D.C. under Brett Bielema last year? Warren yeah, he Walters? Was a, he was it. yep. So they, their, their offense is ranked in the 70th in all the categories. Um, it could be a sickos game for sure. I, I just see – I mean – I feel like this has the potential for being a lot of turnovers again. Like there were what five combined on Saturday against Michigan yeah. State. Five or six, um, yeah. I, I think ironically enough, six, like a, there were six turnovers. Six. Leshawn had his. Oh yeah, the three and, picks and the fumble recovery, and then I more coincidental. But um, I was looking at just some, see how much they turn the ball over and some stats. But Iowa and Purdue have the same the same exact turnover margin. It's really? like minus point four turnovers a game. Hmm. So, yeah. That ranks 94th in the country. Not great. Well, let's take a closer look at Purdue. We just talked about that defense. 16 sacks in five games, including six in that big win last Saturday against the Illini. Hudson Card, though, has been a, uh, a really nice addition as well, as you see those uh, defensive stats for the Boilermakers coming in at 2-3. and three. A tough schedule. We talked about uh, on Saturday or on Sunday as well, that opening loss to Fresno State. Fresno State's 5-0 and and ranked in the top 25 now. Syracuse is 4-1, and their only loss. Came last week against Clemson. That's uh, that's a pretty tough group they have gone up against. Had that win uh, on the road against or uh, Virginia Tech won that game, correct? Beat Virginia Tech or uh, no? They they beat Virginia Tech and so did record. Virginia Tech's one of one of the bottom Power Five teams right. this year. Um, and then coming off that big win again against Illinois, uh, Hudson Card second in the Big Ten in passing yards. The transfer out of Texas, of course, got. Thrown in against Alabama last year uh, after Quinn Ewers went down for the Longhorns, so he's got plenty of big game experience. Uh, again, doesn't have a propensity of turning the ball over through a couple picks in the loss uh, to Wisconsin a couple weeks ago, but you see there completing 64% of his passes, five touchdowns, and those three picks. And then a very familiar face to Hawkeye fans for the second time since he transferred. The first time he's made it back to Kinnick in a different shade of black and gold, Tyrone Tracy. 288 rushing yards for the Boilermakers this season, including 196 just in the last two games. Five touchdowns. Of course, he was a great wideout for Iowa for a, a spot of time there, especially in 2019. Uh, Nate Stanley's senior year, you had Tristan Wirfs and Tyler Linderbaum on that offensive line. Uh, Amir Smith-Marset was 
a great wide receiver, Brandon Smith, and uh, Tyrone Tracy was huge there during his time in Iowa City. 964 all-purpose yards was way more of a receiver than he was a running back. Seven touchdowns. Was really a big, uh, big play guy for the Hawkeyes. Had long touchdowns against Northwestern and Wisconsin in 2019. Uh, I believe it was second in yards, in receiving yards for the Hawkeyes during that 19 campaign. I think it was third or fourth in receptions, but a face that this Hawkeye defense knows very well going up against him in practice. There you see him with the reverse in the Holiday Bowl flashing uh, some running back skills there. Zach Hanley just did a beautiful job filming in these games way back when. Uh, maybe a chance to talk to him next week as we get ready for the Badgers. But uh, Jamari Harris remembers going up against Tyrone in practice, lining up across from him as DB. And well, Jay Higgins has a lot of history with the Tracy family going back to their days in Indianapolis. So they are looking to see a familiar face and prepping for uh, a new opportunity to go up against him again come Saturday. Did you cover Tyrone at all while he was here, Tyrone yeah, Tracy? me and Tyrone had a decent amount of battles. So. Yeah, what do you remember about him as a player? Uh, he's a very shifty man. You know, he's strong as well. He's a good center of gravity. Um, but overall, just a great player and playmaker. And I believe he's doing that over there in Purdue as well. Uh, I just I know his family, uh, a guy I grew up with. Uh, just excited to, to play against him. Uh, we did it last year. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's just another game. But this is different because he's going to be playing a lot. He's playing a lot and he's playing running backs exclusively. Yeah, um, definitely. They got him a big piece of the offense they have. And, um, I mean, we're going to we're gonna game plan for him like we would uh, any other running back uh, in the Big Ten. When did you first meet him? Um, I played AU basketball with his younger brother probably since kindergarten. And then, obviously, that's when – we uh, we met so me Deontay and and the Tracy family we uh, we know each other pretty well. You stay in touch regularly still. Uh, in season a little different. Yeah, in season a little different. <laughs> you block all those numbers in season for sure. Uh, and Tyrone just part of what is always a a very dangerous boilermaker set of weapons. Devin Mockaby, who, if memory serves, had a pretty nice game against Iowa when the. Purdue upset the Hawkeyes right after that Penn State win in 2021 uh, at Kinnick Stadium. I believe that was kind of Maccabee's big game. Uh, man, they've always got some bruising running back, and he was no different. Deion Burks is their leading receiver. Abdur Rahman Yassin has really done a lot of good stuff for them as well. TJ Sheffield, who had a nice game in 21 against them as well. He's back uh, as a senior. Maccabee also works out of the out of the receiving core as well. But Deion Burks... Boy, DB, David Bell, I mean, everyone's going <laughs> to be shaking again about that. That's just a classic Purdue. They're going to have weapons outside. They're going to be able to pound it inside as well with the running game. And, again, a, a kid like Hudson Card, who I've been high on since the, the beginning of the year, I think I picked, picked Purdue third in the West, I think maybe just based on Hudson Card, or maybe it was fourth. I, I, just a kid that you knew was going to come in and bring some st stability in the midst of a coaching change and regime change. But... It's, it's Purdue. They're, as much as Iowa fans maybe want to act like they're not one of the, the true rivals to Iowa, the, not the Minnesota or the Wisconsin or the, or the Nebraska, boy, every time they match up, it's a fun one. Yep, uh, Mike, I don't know what you think about that. Of, do you consider Purdue to be a rival to Iowa? You know, we were joking about it yesterday when they went to Legends and Leaders yeah. And they had one protected that was rival. The protected rivalry. Yeah, people rolled their Iowa eyes. Iowa and Purdue was because you know it wasn't going to be Wisconsin. They were in the 
what is it? Is you, is I don't even remember what legends and leaders were split up as. It's still on NCA 14, and I ignore it every time. Yeah, but uh, there was some joking going al- along when when that happened, and uh, looking back at and then looking at those rankings where they played like 90 something times the most outside of Minnesota and Wisconsin. It is one of those games every year, though. As a Hawkeye fan, I'm like, I don't like seeing them on the schedule. I think we play them every year, but I'm like, you know, they always win games they shouldn't. Or their high scoring where that one in West Lafayette like seven years ago was like yeah. 44, 43. And it's a little Northwestern-y. Yeah. They were in the, in you never the know what you're going to get. 2007, 2008, 2000, where it's just like, man, like they're always there and they're always a thorn in your side. And, and I don't know since the coaching staff changed, but it always seems, at least when I was on defense, they played the same defense, you know, and they, they let offenses get you know underneath stuff, try not to give up the bomb. But Purdue just would always seven yards a pop, just take that stuff, and they usually have an accurate quarterback. Um, Hudson Card, I believe, is pretty accurate, 63, yeah. 64%. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, that front four can get pressure on him or if it's going to be a long day, long play clown for the defense. It's going to be interesting to see. I'm going to try and look up quick. Uh, shame on me for not having this pulled up earlier, but that, that Purdue game, that 24-7 win in October of 21, right after Iowa was, Iowa was number two in the country. They had just beat Penn State. Um, yeah, <laughs> David Bell had 11 catches for 240 yards. Just every there's play. A, there's a reason yeah. I didn't remember that. I buried that way, way down. Um, maybe I was thinking of, I must have been thinking of last year for, for Maccabee that mm. he, had, he had had some big numbers. I f- or maybe it was against another team uh, that he really started Pine up yards. He had 14 for 65 in, in 2022. But I just remember, yeah, just big bruising guy who uh, who was finding success as as they always do. Uh, but yeah, just another thing to keep an eye on. Let the uh, the Saturday scaries against the Boilermakers sink in. Of course, all you need is just Cooper DeGene to do his thing. Maybe return a punt or a, a interception, and all be well. Uh, we've got the footage again. We might as well play it again if we. If we could, uh, Mike, of just yeah, that electrifying play. I had completely forgotten this was his first punt return for a touchdown as a Hawkeye. Because yeah. he's done it so many times with interceptions. Scored, and he's had so many good so punt returns. That you're like, yeah, of course. But um, just an absolute electric play that has led to extended conversations about what his role should be going forward. But, of course, uh, Cooper has been doing it all since way back in his high school days as well. I, I needed to ask him, though, because you sometimes hear as, as guys play – that they have zoned everything else out around the crowds and everything like that. Tough to zone out 70,000 people. So I asked him if he can hear that ambiance, especially, again, the, the coop was already going before that ball was even snapped on yep. the punt. So I had to know if he had any sort of inkling that like, people were waiting for something big. Do you hear the crowd during big plays, like that punt return? I mean, I, I know you've got the helmet on and there's so much field noise but can you hear like that crescendo of just like them getting as hyped up as they do um not like not like during the play sure. but you know after after you definitely definitely can can hear it um you know i think actually as, as soon as that punk went up and i think it was where it was on the field i kind of heard the crowd you know start starting to get excited a little bit um and then when I, once i caught it Everything kind of just like kind of just like zone out and focus, um, but then after the play, it was really cool just to just to hear you know seventy thousand just going going crazy, um, you know even in, on all the turnovers and, and big plays. You know our fans are 
are, are great and they, they, they support us and, and we appreciate that. Um, you know, in Kinnick, Kinnick Stadium, I think when, when you get a packed house, I think it's, I think it's one of kind. So. That's got to be such a wild moment, though, is you don't even have the ball yet and you can hear the expectation. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's got to be trippy. It's, it's, it's cool, I think, because um, I, th I think the fans know that there's there's opportunity out there, so that kind of gives you confidence yeah. to, to go out and, and, and do that. So it's it's cool that they're that they're that you know locked into into the game that, that they see what's what's going to happen. There was it was fun for me yesterday. I was um, just kind of cutting and exporting a lot of my highlights from that game, and so I got to that clip and I was like kind of going through frame by frame of him running down the sideline. And excuse me as I pantomime, this shirt doesn't retain like sweat marks very well, so you're going to see me like as I raise my arms. But anyway, um, so you just see like as soon as he like cuts over to the sideline, you see like coaches and players like already like raising their That's hand the like pointing yeah. to the end zone you see coaches like holding each other back and i mean they they like knew they could just see it even like while he was on still on the opposite 40 yard line like okay cooper's gonna do something here lavar woods was <laughs> feeling great <laughs> that's fun seeing the reaction from like the security there was a security guy that was right next to me who's he's like <gasps> just and the the fans in the background it's just it's perfectly captures that that thrill and, and so cool that, that he can even hear like before he fields the ball, the yeah. crowd just be like, oh, yeah. uh, it's, it's super cool, which is of course then led to why don't you make the whole plane out of the Cooper DeGene? <laughs> that discussion of why isn't he playing on offense? Can you uh, yeah. do more with him? Uh, he was asked about that. Of course, he said, yeah, that'd be super fun. Uh, Kirk squashed that pretty quickly. <laughs> Kind of. I don't know. I feel like he did. I, I mean, Cooper DeGene's not going to play offense. I, I feel so. like... I he mean, already has. Like Owen, Owen chalked up. What's that? He already has played offense. Victory formation. Yes, exactly. He said, he's like, I've already been in there. Um, <laughs> I don't know. The, the, both the way that Kirk and Cooper phrase their answers, I'm like, I'm not saying he will, but it's been talked about. I feel like it's definitely been discussed by them or like they have at least thought about it. I, I think right now it's not at a place where they even can because... Kirk mentioned pitch count yesterday where it's like, yeah. dude, the defense is playing whatever, like two-thirds of the plays in the game right now just because the offense can't stay on the field. So it's like he's already out there so much between punt return and, um, I mean, shoot, how many punt returns do they have? Six, I think, that he had to like that, yeah. do. Um, and defense, it's like he's already got so many plays out there. They need him fresh for defense. But if you had a game where offense – Somehow, I know this is hard to even comprehend that offense would run more plays than the other team offensively, but it's like, I don't know. I could see them putting him out there. If it's a game that's already in hand, maybe, like, let's let Cooper cook. So I, I liked what Matt Vandenberg, he, Owen had him on the Eye on the Hawks, which airs uh, this Thursday at 630, um, former Iowa wide receiver. He, he said, and in, in his take was, if they do, it's going to be for a small package, maybe five, five plays in the playbook, and maybe run one a game, mm -hmm. which... Would be pretty cool to see if they do that. Um, again, do they do it? Probably not, but it's still fun to talk about. He's, he's one of those athletes. Like, yeah. you know, I don't think he's as athletic as Travis Hunter for Colorado, but, yeah. like, that's amazing to watch when guys are playing both ways. I feel like they, both Kirk and Cooper, could have totally shut that down and be like, no, it's not being talked about. No, it's not going to happen. But, like, they did not. I feel like the door was left open where it's like, Oh, there's not really a plan in place right now, and uh, and Kirk, Kirk was like, "Oh, we've kind of thought about it," and yeah, I don't know. I could see it happening before the season's over. I do think that's a bit of a long con. I think if he's out there, it's a decoy. Also, <laughs> yeah, and, which and, might which might benefit the yeah, offense maybe. too. And this is also a uh, well, technically uh, moment. 
Uh, Caleb Brown is already number three on the offense. So I don't think Cooper could go you know in as a I was wondering about that. You can switch numbers because that's exactly what Logan Lee does because he plays on uh, PATs, and so he, like, subs out and wears, like, number 96 or something. So, yeah, you, so that would be the... How, did, how does that work? Does he have, like, an X, double X jersey? They, like, you hear the PA announcer I've heard that, and I'm it. like, what are they talking about? I didn't yeah. know that that was why. Yeah. Not that that's one thing that could stand in the... Like, well, we can't play him. We have two number threes. Like, I don't think that would be the, the reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, aside from every other reason, they probably won't play him on defense. But <laughs> I do wonder if that's why they don't completely put the kibosh on it. Just, like... Uh, yeah. And, I mean, they're not fully winking at the camera, but being like, yeah. I don't know, maybe you could play. Like, there was just a little twinkle in Cooper's eye that I'm like, I think, yeah, maybe maybe over Wrigley Field or something if uh, they're up 20 on <laughs> Purdue or, or on uh, Northwestern that maybe, I don't know, I could be talking crazy. Well, well I, I don't think it would happen, but it'd be, <laughs> boy, sure be cool if they did. Anyways, speaking of sure be cool, uh, we are less than two weeks away from women's basketball at Kinnick Stadium. It was Women's Basketball Media Day. Um, just a sign of the times that Caitlin Clark had her own separate media availability at the podium, which is super cool. Hawks, number one team in the Big Ten heading in. She is the preseason player of the year in the conference, as you'd expect. And uh, what were your takeaways from a, a very early, very early media day? <laughs> 8 a.m. media days are unheard of, and I, I don't know how I feel about it. How do you feel about they it? They did have coffee and bagels out for the, for the media to enjoy. Um, early in the day for us, I had a 6.30 wake up today. Don't love that. Um, and also early, I mean, we've still got over a month until the first regular season game. I think November 6th is the first yeah. one, but still two weeks out from the, uh, less than two weeks out from the crossover at Kinney. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, nobody's going to be She's surprised too. at her being <laughs> at the preseason favorite for probably every national award. I have to imagine she's going to be the yeah. preseason favorite. Um, but I am very excited about this week, this year's Hawkeye roster because just it, everybody seems healthy, which is not quite what we had last year, especially with somebody like Kylie Fierbach, who sounds uh, like has been great at practice. Yeah, I mean, uh, Lisa pointed out that she's not wearing a brace on her leg anymore. Um, she's freaking good like Kylie Feuerbach is a really good player like she was great at Iowa State and she just has not been healthy enough to log any significant minutes at Iowa and so if she gets on the floor a lot I think she's going to be outstanding Um, the biggest uh, hurdle obviously is the post um, with losing Monica Sonano who's going to replace her Um, and nobody really (laughs) yeah kind of the answer that Lisa say this morning I think I read one of your tweets that Hannah Stolke's really improved her three-point shooting because that would be a huge dynamic <laughs> for this offense for if we could yeah. run a stretch five. I know yeah. Caitlin said, um, hey, watch some Draymond Green film because she's not as tall as some of the bigs in the Big Ten, but if she could stretch the floor like that, that that'd be interesting. That's what they said. Yeah, they said that she's been working on her threes. I, I looked it up. She attempted six three-pointers last year, made one of them. Um, but she made threes in high school. Like I covered a couple of her games when she was still at Wash, and like she was she was shooting and banking in three pointers. I mean, she was a good distance shooter back then. So I could see them doing that. Um, but mainly at that post spot, you've got three players who are going to be filling in, and that's at Addie O'Grady. I even asked her today. I said, "Do you prefer Addison or Addie?" She said she prefers Addie. So that's what I'm going with. Addie O'Grady, um, Sharon Goodman. And AJ Ediger are going to be the three players who are kind of going to be stepping into that post spot, um, filling the shoes left behind by Monica. And so, I I mean I was a little bit skeptical in the in the tournament when I saw like how much time um, Addie was getting there on the floor, but she did well She's in the final four. I mean she, she like you might not think like wow she was outstanding, but like. I mean, she was playing South Carolina and LSU, like the best teams in the country. And so um, she wasn't going to totally go out there and be a star. But like against, you know, Big Ten teams, even though the Big Ten's great, I think that she can be a really 
you know, above just a serviceable center. I think that she can be really good. Um, Sharon, I truthfully don't know what to expect out of A.J. Ediger other than, I mean, they've said that she's going to fill in this year. I think she probably will be the third person um, in that center spot to come. Sharon Goodman, um, she's been so banged up, too. I feel like she, last year I think she had braces on both of her knees. Something like that, um, yeah. But didn't see that this year um, or just in the limited time we were at practice today. So I could see Sharon getting in there, and she is just the – sweetest girl like so supportive all of her teammates talked about how she's like the most up, uplifting person on the team she's out there high-fiving everybody so i'm like i mean she really <laughs> i think she can turn it on turn on that killer inst- instinct when she gets on the court but she's she's a lot of fun to talk to and well. who coaches posts for iowa women's basketball last i checked it is the post whisperer jan jensen coaching those girls up who recently churned out monica sanano and the likes of megan gustafson like yeah, I wouldn't be too worried about the post. They'll be fine. Let They'll me. Be fine. I'll mention a couple other players I'm excited about. Um, so Kate Martin was not practicing today. She's super sick right now. Um, just, you know, standard illness, I don't know, flu or something like that. But she didn't even, like, want to talk on camera to us. Um, like, so we couldn't do any interviews with her. Um, so Kate is, it was not practicing today. Um, but... Uh, so you kind of had a good look at who the starting lineup was going to be this year. Addie was the one that was in there with all the rest of the ones. Um, and Sydney Falter was the next person in there that was a starter with Kate gone. And so I think Sydney's going to play a lot of minutes this year. We saw her a decent amount in the tournament yeah. as well. She looked good out there in their overseas tournament. She pulled down about a billion rebounds against you know those bad international teams that they were playing. But um, she's she's tough. I mean she's she's going to be a really good like. You know, maybe not a big score for them, but she's going to be a good presence for them in the post, I think. Um, and one more that Hawkeye fans have not seen a lot of yet that I think is going to be a big contributor, maybe not big contributor this year, but it's going to be a, somebody to keep your eye on is Taylor McCabe. Yeah. So Taylor was Miss Basketball in Nebraska as a senior two years ago. She was a true freshman last year. Her high school numbers are... Gets buckets. <laughs> She was a bananas high school player. She, how many threes did she attempt a game? I think I saw your stats. Maybe so I, I, so David Eicholt uh, grew up not far from where she was okay. from, and so he'd seen her play a couple times in high school. Like when he got back home to visit his parents, he was like, "I went to a game where she attempted 19 three pointers." <laughs> and so I asked her about that. I was like, "I heard that you're a bit of a shooter." She's like, "Oh, you think so?" And, she, and I was like, "I heard something about like you know maybe 19 three pointers a game attempted." And she's like, "Really?" She was like, "Boy, that sounds like a light night for me." <laughs> so like she's a shooter. She holds. So the biggest class in Nebraska is Class A. Mm -hmm. She holds the Class A record for, like, points, 2,300 or something like that, career points, um, 300 and some odd three-pointers. She set the single-season record for three-pointers in a year as a freshman at Fremont High School, um, playing under Kelly Flynn, who is a legendary coach in Nebraska, um, coached at South Sioux City for a long time, and he was great there, and then went over and won a championship at Fremont. But um, she learned from the best. She was on the all-Iowa attack team, um, and so he was. she was like, you know, over there, they just teach us to, you know, crank up three-pointers sure. all day. Um, and so she's... She she'll she'll log some serious minutes this year, and I think she'll make some good shots, and and maybe not be like a star player this year, but she's somebody to watch down the road that she's going to be a significant part of this team. Super fun, and yeah, that exhibition at Kinnick coming up in eleven days, the fifteenth week or, from Sunday, I believe. Yeah, it's true, week from week Sunday. From I think forty seven thousand seats. They've I think they're pushing yeah. for fifty. If they can get fifty there, we get good weather. That's going to be an all time. Kinnick and Iowa Athletics moment for sure. Uh, let's recap your Hawkeye top seventy because can we can we spoil who number one is? I mean, we already aired it, so it, we're not spoiling much. But 
Caitlin Clark's the number one athlete over the last 70 years. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, according to Owen and his rankings. Congratulations, by the way, on uh, tackling an endeavor that I believe found its feet in the drive back from <laughs> Dallas after yeah. the championship game. And um, what an endeavor that is. What is takeaway from a big project like that? And I'm sure you learned a thing or two about the history of Hawkeye athletics. Yeah, it was as much as it was a lot of work and a lot of fun to do it. It was great for me just as a sports reporter in this area, I think, to learn some of these names that I didn't know before. Even though I grew up in Iowa, I don't know a lot of these, even some of the big wrestling names from the past. I didn't know much about Ed and Lou Bannock or, <laughs> um, you know, TJ and Joe Williams and just some of these incredible wrestling names from the past. So, Learning about the all-time great wrestlers, learning about the field hockey team who's had so many outstanding players over the years. I mean, honestly, you know, wrestling is Iowa's biggest output historically, but I would say that field hockey might be their second best sport all time right behind wrestling. I mean, they've had so many Final Fours. They've won a natty, like so many All-Americans. I mean, just incredible athletes there. So just getting a chance to be more well acquainted with some of the athletes that I didn't know about and I think maybe a lot of our viewers didn't know about going back to the 60s and 50s and 70s that uh, it was just a lot of fun to feature some of these people that we haven't had a chance to talk about in a long time. All the track and field success they've had, the swimming, the gymnastics. It was just, yeah. Incredible men's swimmers over the years, man. Boy, yeah. Those are the the eye-popping ones of just you see what they accomplished. Nine national championships for uh, Arthur Wodat. That's right, yeah. That was the one that was like, you, you can win that many? What? Um, you do that? There's no limit? You can argue with the top five unless you're saying, and you know, I wouldn't say this, but other, other people might say, you know, recency bias with Caitlin Clark and yeah. Spencer Lee in the top two. But then Chuck Long at three, Luca Garza, Cal Jones, round up the top five. Like, I don't know how you argue that. Yeah. It's, it's tough to deny Caitlin number one. I mean, she's transcending the sport. And, mm -hmm. you know, we said this in Dallas, too, changing the way people watch the sport, the, the amount they consume it. They're having a game at Kinnick Stadium. <laughs> one of the things that went into the criteria for number one, because, I mean, from the get-go, I was like, Carolyn's number one, right? I mean, I tried Those to do that. Again, the Genesis like, driving to Dallas, I was like, so yes. I think we know who's number one. And even, uh, I mean, the thing to think about when you think about who might be the best of the last 70 years, or even all time, I would say, um, who is considered somebody that is the GOAT in their sport. Mm -hmm. Spencer Lee, as great as he is, he's a legend as a wrestler, he's not considered the GOAT wrestler. Um, even Niall Kinnick, as much as he's a legend around here, obviously great Heisman winner, nobody's talking about Niall Kinnick as the greatest football player of all time. Um, Caitlin is being talked about as, even if it's not her, um, she is one of the best college basketball players of all time. And that, that to me, had to put yeah. her at the top of the list. And you can watch all of the, oh, go ahead, Mike. Oh, I wasn't saying anything. Oh, I was. I was no. just going to say that, like, yeah, based on that top five that I have, any anybody that either got left off the list as a whole or out of the top five that you would say, oh, I'd like to to have seen them in there or omissions. Just for my, or, yeah. my personal, and then we talked about this, and I agree with you, but I'm just bringing it up for conversation's sake. Like when I was younger, Brad Banks was the world to me. You know, like he he's the reason I'm such a big Hawkeye fan today, and he was such electric. But the fact that he only played one true season, I know he played a little bit in 2001, split time with Kyle McCann. Um, you can't put him that high, you know, um, unless he won the Heisman that right. year, which that's a different set. Yeah. That's also a different set of rankings, maybe like greatest season in mm -hmm. Hawkeye history, and so that's your next. Uh, he, was, <laughs> <laughs> he was still pretty high. I mean, he was top fifteen. I yeah, think, yeah, top, at least. So. And that just speaks to how just great he was that in one season. I mean, for that, sure, because I was the same way. That was the first season that I really followed college football. Was two thousand two and. 
man, Brad Banks was such an incredible player that year. Yeah, one more season that's even like above average, and he would maybe be top five, if not top ten. You can watch all of the coverage from way, way back uh, at Iowa's News Now, CBS2Iowa.com, and uh, you did the the opening ones work in chunks of five, and then those final top five are all their own individual ones. And mm-hmm. I've told you this already, just fantastic stuff. Um, just super, super cool. To, to get all those history lessons and all the archive stuff, that's that's the fun yeah. stuff for us. I know we both are fun. Uh, I love both really enjoyed digging through everything. One thing I'm hoping to put it on the website as well, Curtis actually gave me this idea to like have all 70 be on like one timeline so yeah. people could go and just watch it in one place. So I'm ho- I mean, it'd be like a 30-minute video or something <laughs> at least, but have it at least on the website so somebody can go and not have to dig back to June where we sure. had our first one. So That'd be super cool to be able to do and hopefully get that on uh, the Iowa's News Now YouTube page as well where yeah. you can Watch all of our Eye on the Hawks content as well. Let's get to the picks. Uh, nobody's doing particularly well this year. By nobody, I mean me. Um, here's what we're going to go through. As you see there, I, let's just go to a vote. There's no spread because Howard's uh, an FCS team there at Northwestern. Uh, <laughs> raise your hand if you think Northwestern wins that game. <laughs> I think we're good. You can see all, my hand. All opposed. Motion passes. Northwestern over Howard. So that's why we've got our first Big Ten East game in here uh, that we'll get to in a little bit. Let's start with the team that lost to Purdue last week. Illinois hosting Nebraska. The uh, their three and a half point favorite, uh, welcoming the Corn Huskers mm-hmm. into Champaign. Your thoughts, Owen? Uh, that is a tricky game, but um, Illinois. I mean, we've talked about it. It seems like every week that they've been a little bit of a disappointment this year. Um, I this is tough. I'm almost surprised that they're a, a favorite. I, it could almost be a pick'em for me, but I think I like Illinois. Um, just being the home team, I think that that's what's gonna uh, get get me on Illinois' side. I think they're favorites because Nebraska just got pounded by Michigan last week. <laughs> I'm gonna go Nebraska. I'm gonna finally take my advice and not trust Illinois. Um, Nebraska's defense, although they gave up 35 against Michigan, who's a really good team is a lot better from than last year. So I think, you know, in Illinois gave up six sacks last week. I think that's going to come into play this week. So I'm going to take the Cornhuskers. I'm going to do the same Cornhuskers in Nebraska plus three and a half. Um, even I think they can keep it within a field goal. I think they've got the, the offense figured out a little bit, even if it wasn't uh, evident against Michigan. I don't think a lot of stuff can be evident against Michigan. I mean, they're just such a, a great program. But uh, encouraged by Nebraska. And again, Illinois just can't protect the ball. I, I really like Luke Altmaier, but um, as Casey can attest to, he just throws way too many interceptions for anybody's liking, so I will take the Cornhuskers to cover in Champaign. Maryland, a 20-point dog at 5-0, and heading to Ohio State. I'm going to start here. I, I'm very high on the Terps. I will take them to cover at Ohio State. Uh, I just, that offense is super, super fun. Ohio State is not the dominant power that they have in the past that went against North Notre Dame looks better and better every week, even though it's only been a couple weeks. I think that'll still be a, a crown jewel by the time we wrap up the regular season. But Maryland is really good. I'm not saying they're going to outright win in Columbus in the horseshoe, but that's that's appointment television for me on Saturday. That's going to be a fun one to watch. There are folks getting high on Tongo Vailoa as a Heisman candidate. His I numbers mean, are nuts. His dude's been insane this year. Great. How much of an injustice is it? Maryland's not ranked right now? It's weird. They're 5-0 and <laughs> not LSU's ranked. ranked with two losses. I mean, SEC. I mean, come on. Like, the AP voters, they got it wrong this week. I'll just say that. Then Kirby Smart says he thinks every SEC team should be ranked or something like that. <laughs> I mean, it's not a good – I mean, it, obviously the top it's, of the league, Alabama and, and Georgia – Alabama's even a little down for their standards, but Georgia hasn't played up to their potential either. But I, 
I just don't see how you put a two loss. I know they lost to Florida State and they've lost to, I'm blanking on the other team. It was a, a good team, but come on. Yeah. Uh, when a team's gotten Old Miss, they lost Old yeah, Miss last week. Miss. When a team's gotten to five and zero, especially beaten, you know, uh, three Power Five wins against Virginia, Michigan State, and Indiana, like there's no reason that Maryland shouldn't be like in the, you know, I get it, but like come on, like they deserve to at least like get the recognition of a top twenty five. Uh, long story short, I'm going to take Maryland too. I think that they <laughs> could keep within twenty, maybe give Ohio State a test. Maybe again, this is a week where we get to see what Maryland's really made of. I'm going the Terps too. I don't think they win, but 20 is a lot, especially yeah. for. I, I think the reason it's so high is Maryland's played. Generally, I know three power f- five teams, but they're not the strongest schedule uh, in in college football. Indiana, but Indiana, you know, it's covered a 20 point spread against Ohio State, so so that's why I'm picking Terps. Yeah, just a, a, a puzzling spread there, which means Ohio State probably wins by 35. <laughs> Rutgers, a 13 point dog, heading to Wisconsin, who the Hawkeyes will have next week. Uh, Scarlet Knights, I, I've said it before, I, I like this team quite a bit, but uh, Wisconsin even uh, losing a tailback still seemed to be finding, finding their feet with that new offense under Luke Fickle. Mike, what do you think about that matchup in Madison? You know, Rutgers kind of reminds me of Maryland um, with the schedule. I know they did play Michigan, and then they you know, got beat pretty bad. It was close for a little bit. Um, I think Wisconsin turned a corner a little bit. I, I'm going to take them at home. I, I don't trust Rutgers on the road even to cover that spread. I don't think their offense is, is that great. Yeah, I, I think I like Wisconsin and that one too to, to cover just uh, getting, getting home field advantage. Yeah, Malusi out for Wisconsin is, uh, is tough. Braylon Allen's still super, super good. Um, they'll step in, but Malusi is going to be a loss. I said I like this Rutgers team. I think they can, they can lose by 10. I, I don't think they go in and win. But I, I think uh, Wimsat and that offense can do enough to keep Wisconsin's offense off the field. And so I'm going to take uh, Rutgers to cover there. Again, we've uh, talked about Northwestern. Everybody thinks they'll beat Howard. <laughs> so there you go. Michigan heads to Minnesota for the battle of the Little Brown Jug, the, a rivalry that doesn't get enough respect, I feel like, nowadays, mostly because it hasn't been a rivalry for the most part of the last 25 years. But Minnesota, a 19-point home dog <laughs> against the Wolverines. Owen, your thoughts? Well, uh, Minnesota certainly has left a lot to be desired out there, unless you're looking at their helmets. When, when they put, uh, what's... Goldie? Uh, what's it? What's Is it name? Goldie? Goldie, yeah. With In the his, old school sweater and everything? His face yeah. on the side of the helmet. I, I'm, not, I'm not mad about that at all. <laughs> um, 19 is a big old number again. Um, it, it's, it, yeah, it feels like one of these weeks, Minnesota's talented enough that they could surprise a good team and give them a good test and... Ah, that could be this week. I'll 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 take Minnesota to to beat that spread. I'm going Michigan here. I just think they're too strong. You know, I they they're obviously a playoff contender, and they could you know contend for a national title this year. And uh, Minnesota's left a lot to be desired this year, so I think the Wolverines go in and cover. I'm going to take Minnesota to cover just because even losing Darius T- Taylor, who we still don't really know exactly the extent of his injury but they plugged in Zach Evans who was a recruit they were really excited about who was banged up for a while he had a great game against Louisiana Sean Tyler got some carries again Bryce Williams that offensive line I mean you can plug a lot of dudes back there and they're going to move the ball Minnesota's pass defense I think could be a key in in keeping this within the spread Tyler Newbins as good as it gets in the Big Ten so I I'm, again 
I don't know if Minnesota can win this game, but I certainly think they can keep it within the 19. And that brings us to Iowa's homecoming game against Purdue. The Hawkeyes still two-and-a-half-point favorites despite losing Cade McNamara, despite not having Luke Lachey. We saw Caleb Williams – or Caleb Williams – He's at Southern California. <laughs> Caleb Johnson, though, is still a running back for Iowa. He was back at practice today, and it sounds like he was there yesterday as well. Uh, Jazz Patterson will not be out there for the Hawkeyes. Sounds like Caleb maybe has an opportunity to play, but that's got Iowa as a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home against the Boilermakers. Michael, what do you say? I've been bouncing, going back and forth. You know, we touched on a little bit. Like I, I'm always uneasy when they play, when Iowa plays Purdue. Um, we've seen upsets. We've seen close games. We've seen shootouts. But I just don't think this Purdue team is as talented as Iowa, especially you know when our offense plays against their, or our defense, sorry, plays against their offense. Um, I think that's going to be the the difference. Um, and you know, it's not a night game, but it is going to be an awesome atmosphere. And you see, I expect a few false starts. We've seen that couple couple games this year. Um, and you know, if it was maybe four or five points, I'd pick Purdue. But I'm going to pick the Hawkeyes to cover. All right. Um, I, I feel like maybe I've, I've let this uh, unnamed sports writer get into my head a little bit because <laughs> he had really zero confidence in Iowa this week. And so I think I'm going to take Purdue, um, that it, it could be a really close one that gets decided by a field goal or something. Um, so I think I'll, uh, it could be a toss-up on who wins this game. Maybe, you know, I, I'd love to see Deacon go out there and show out, um, but, you know, maybe that doesn't happen. So... Anyway, I'm, I'll I'll stick with Purdue to keep it close. Purdue gets in everybody's. I mean, it's it's Purdue. We've seen it time and again. Uh, they they know how to move it against the Hawkeyes. As I pointed out to you guys yesterday, 93rd all-time meeting between Iowa and Purdue. The third longest rivalry, third most games, I guess, among any team that Iowa plays. Minnesota's number one. Wisconsin's number two, and then Purdue's number three. Wisconsin's only played Iowa, I think, 95 times, and Purdue's not far behind, 93. Wow. Found that interesting. Okay, That's, go ahead. Is, yeah, you'd think Wisconsin and Iowa entangled a. A few more times than that. I'm going to take Iowa to cover. Um, I think this could be a three-point win, so thanks for the half-point, Vegas. Uh, I think we'll see ups and downs from Deacon. I do think the ups will be – We've. this was a, a popular question uh, at media availability yesterday of just – or I guess a popular answer and observation from players that every once in a while he'll make a throw where the players just go, <laughs> and I think, I think he'll have a, th- a throw or two like that on Saturday. I think the defense – um, has more opportunities, again, to maybe uh, pump up those turnover numbers a little bit. Again, Hudson Card, not a guy who turns the ball over a lot, but it, you know these things tend to come in bunches sometimes. You get three against Michigan State, maybe you get another two against Purdue. So I will take the Hawkeyes to cover and win and move to 5-1, and 1-0 one, one and oh in the Deacon Hill era. Final thoughts before we sign off here, anybody? Where do you think we go when we die? Um, <laughs> where, Next on I'm a Hawks. No, I yeah I uh, as I've said I think earlier this week this is the game where I do think we see what I was made of um, where I think that they're you know they're a team that matches up well with Purdue that is again another talented team and so this is the game where the rubber meets the road and we see what I was made of. I feel like I'm I'm excited to to see Deacon start and I remember, I think it's been like such a a weird week. When we're on the field and Cade goes down, I'm like, well, that's it, you know. I was one of those guys where I'm like, well, this isn't going to be a good season. And then, you know, you watch the game, you rewatch the game, you you look at some of his throws and you're like, well, you know, it's not that much different than it, what it was with Cade. And, you know, I think Cade's obviously a better quarterback, but he wasn't healthy. So um, I, I'm excited to see what the offense 
does game plan wise if because you saw it last week where they came out and just started throwing to the receivers and started targeting them more like hopefully they keep doing that mm-hmm. even with and I said this on Sunday but even with Deacon as a starter hopefully the game plan doesn't change I know they'll probably want to get Caleb back in the mix if he plays um, but you know I, I think I'm looking at it as an optimist like let's let's see what we got you know yeah anticipate a strong first drive because we've gotten that about every week so far yeah and yeah the the wide receiver targets were way up and i I can't help but look at deacon hill and see shades of nate stanley i know it's just probably the bodies set up but uh the kid can sling it and you you see the excitement in the team's eyes so why not be a little more excited for what could become their optimism that's what we're doing here on eye on the hawks we'll be back here sunday at noon live to break everything down against the boilermakers and hawkeyes so from Mike and Owen, I'm Mitch. We'll see you Sunday at noon on Eye on the Hawks.